Hey, welcome back to Film Festival Reviews. This is Christina Kotlar, and we're getting back to Silver Things this week. Before I head out to Silver Docks International Film Festival next week in Silver Spring, Maryland. A few of my friends were disappointed about not getting in, maybe listening to this program. And to a programmer's POV, we'll give some insight into the way things, um, the way films are chosen. And I have an interview with Sky Sydney, programming director of Silver Docks. Also, I've been invited to be a guest blogger for Without a Box. And next week, this um, Silver Docks Film Festival will be on the Without a Box website. After my chat with Sky, and I really like that name, I would do something like Blue Sky or something like that. Anyway, it's the silver anniversary for the Black Mariah Film and Video Festival, and I'll be talking to John Columbus, founder, about that. So um, let's get on with it and um, enjoy the show. Sky Sydney is the director of programming for Silver Ducks. Exactly. And uh, we met yesterday at the luncheon. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about the, the program itself, but there were so many people there asking yes. you questions and wanting to talk to you. And I'm sure there were a lot of things going on in the newspapers today. So Absolutely. catching up with everything. So I, I just finished talking with Trish yeah. a little bit. She t- gave me the overall view. This is your first uh, Silver Docks? It is. It's my first Silver Docks. How exactly. did you uh, get involved with them now? Well, um, I had been programming for a number of years at different film festivals. Um, I started off at the New York Underground Film Festival where I began as a screener and worked my way up all the way to programmer. And then I went to the Newport International Film Festival. I was still based out of New York, but um, it's a regional festival in Rhode Island. And I was their director of programming for two years. And simultaneous to that, I was getting my PhD in cinema studies and focusing specifically on documentary. And um, when I heard about this position at Silver Docks, it was this kind of perfect merging of my interest and passion for programming and my kind of intellectual curiosity about documentaries in particular. That sounds like a perfect job. Yeah, for me it is. It, it really is. <laughs> yeah. How did you, you get interested in documentaries? Because you're probably seeing a lot of different films, experimental, yeah. narrative features. Absolutely. Um, um, it's interesting. I actually grew up in a very experimental avant-garde film family. Um, growing up in New York City, my father was the founder of a place called Anthology Film Archives. So I literally grew up as a kid constantly being surrounded by very esoteric filmmaking and was really inspired by it. First, when I was interested in film, thought I wanted to be a filmmaker, like many people, and studied that. And my interests in filmmaking at first were largely experimental. But I soon realized that I was more passionate about watching films and studying films, and I had a tremendous curiosity about the various kinds of backgrounds that these films came from and realized that my passion was more being a viewer of film than a maker. As time went on, I found myself gravitating more and more in my viewing pleasure with documentaries. There was just something about the immediacy of the documentaries that really struck me. And in the last few years of programming at these uh, film festivals that were meant to have a kind of balance between narrative and documentaries, it was hard to disguise my obvious inclination for documentaries. Um, Every time there was an opportunity for a special program, it tended to be documentary work. When I went on for my PhD, 
I made sure to have a little bit of a focus in a program at NYU called the, the Department of Culture and Media. And that's a place where it's a hybrid of both the cinema studies and anthropology department where you have a particular focus on ethnographic and documentary film and you also are encouraged to make a documentary film while you're there. So this is a very long-winded way of kind of telling you that it just had been a natural leaning for me. and A converging yeah. of different roads and paths mm -hmm. that we all go on, but yours all converge to this position Absolutely, here. absolutely. And it's fine, you know, once the festival wraps, after having seen hundreds of documentaries, it's going to be a pleasure to go to the movies and watch some narrative films that I've missed, you know, that I haven't been caught up on. And I love narrative cinema, but I have no qualms about the kind of professional direction being focused on documentary. How do you see uh, some of the films that take on the documentary style but are narrative uh -huh. or vice versa? You know, are you seeing yeah. this kind of uh, intertwining Absolutely. between the two? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think that this might sound a little bold, but in many ways the distinctions between narrative and documentary are not nearly as severe as we would like to think. In many ways, documentary is a genre. There are so many choices that are made when one makes a documentary film. There's so much footage that's left on the editing room floor. There's so many choices even before that the editing process takes place in terms of what, who, what subjects one wants to focus on. We assume that documentaries are complete truth, and we do hold documentary filmmakers up to certain ethical expectations. We expect them to represent the subjects honestly and to try to have a kind of balanced view of them. But documentaries are not without their biases, without their choices, without the influence of the filmmaker. So I feel that we think about documentaries versus narrative. Sometimes we make a unreasonable distinction between the two. I think that the lines already are, are much more blurred than we expect. But I think there have been in this increasing growth and interest in documentary filmmaking that has wound up having a kind of aesthetic Im um, impact on the way narrative films are presented. And you know, for the past five, maybe ten years, the reality television has certainly not just emerged, but has become a dominant form of um, stuff on, uh, you know, genre on television. Interestingly, we have had an incredible growth this year from last of submissions. We received um, about 40% more submissions this year. What, what I think is interesting is that if you are a aspiring, an aspiring filmmaker or an amateur filmmaker, and I use the word amateur with the highest of respect, in the truest sense of the word, um, a non-professional. The economic freedom that these new cameras are providing allows so many more people to take up the camera and make films. However, narrative films do require, for the most part, um, more economic expectations and uh, difficulties. So I think it's easier for people to actually make a documentary film than a narrative film. You don't have to necessarily cast it. You don't have to look for locations. You don't have to shoot it over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, the presumption is that you're out there shooting what is happening and unfolding naturally in the world. So I think for amateur filmmakers, it's easier to begin with documentaries, and that's why I think that there's a larger influx of them. Do you feel that you have a little bit of a background as a filmmaker, that that's really helped you with your position right now? Yeah, I do think, I think it certainly creates a, a sensitivity. I know how difficult it is to make a great documentary film. So I have the utmost respect when a filmmaker is does it successfully. It's practically a miracle. I have incredible compassion for the filmmakers, and I think that it's not necessary to have that background by any means, 
but it I think it simply creates a level of understanding of, of really how meticulous and painstaking the process is and, and how extraordinary it is when it's done correctly. And I don't actually, correctly is in some ways the wrong word, there's not necessarily a correct way, but certainly some documentaries are more successful than others at allowing the, the audience to connect with the, with the subject and creating an interesting narrative arc. The presumption is when people set out to make a documentary that they don't know how it's going to end, what the climax will be. If they did, in some ways that would seem contradictory to the very idea of documentary. So the kind of amazing serendipity, the, the incredible accidents, the unknown future that a documentary filmmaker has to kind of set out on really leaves a lot of room open for a film that, that could go in a number of different directions. Um, sometimes maybe the most dramatic things don't happen. And sometimes what's really good and healthy for a film subject is not what's good and healthy for an exciting film. Sometimes there are contradictions with each other, in fact. Is that what you look for when you see uh, some of the films that are submitted? I don't want to impose certain expectations in terms of the story on two films. I have expectations in, in terms of aesthetic values, in terms of heart flow, you know, kind of big, broad things. But I don't necessarily think a, doc a good documentary has to follow a particular pattern. It a good film, may you, it's undeniable. Um, you know, when you're kind of grappling and questioning if you're in screening committee meetings and you're, you're talking a lot about, hmm, does it really work, doesn't it? Unfortunately, chances are it doesn't. You know when a film works. You feel it, you're engaged. And while I really do put a lot of value on aesthetic pr values, not to be redundant with that term, it doesn't necessarily have to be a deal breaker. You know, sometimes a story is just so spectacular and shines through and you can forgive it for not necessarily looking very good. And I'm not saying that I only want slick films. I do have an expectation that the language of film is, there's some pay attention paid to it. I'm watching this. So I want to watch something that is not, not so much pleasing to the eyes, but not distracting in its vulgarity to the eyes. You know, um, I was a screener for, uh -huh. for Silver Docs for the, um, the second year, and I made sure that I watched the entire film. Uh -huh, absolutely. You know, some people don't. Some people say, okay, the first 10 minutes, and I can't do it. Yeah. But you still want to give them the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, you know, maybe something is going to happen, but as, yep. as you say, then by that time, does it really salvage the documentary? Exactly. Does it really salvage the film, the story? Well, we and have a know. principle here. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I can't speak for years past. First of all, by the time a film gets to me, it's already passed through a couple of tiers. We have a large number of screeners who are the first pass for most films. Then if those films, if the screener recommends those films, it goes on to the programming committee at large. And then I wind up watching the films that the programming committee has recommended. The, I would love to watch all 1,700 films. And unfortunately, there's no doubt that there is probably a gem or two that has fallen through the cracks, which is very scary and disappointing. But there's no, it's simply not possible to watch all 1,700 films within the short period of time that we receive them. So I have no choice but to rely on what I do think are a wonderful group of people who have, who are, have legitimate reasons to be in the position of being screeners, who have demonstrated a taste, experience, an ability to spot good films, and who can articulate in the reports to me why a film works, and more importantly, why it doesn't. Because sometimes I can detect in a review from a screener something that actually makes me want to look at it anyway. 
So if I can detect that in a report, I'll go ahead and, and watch the film. I also typically watch the films that screeners have recommended in their first few batches to make sure that we are, in fact, on the same page. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, by the time a film gets to me, it has already gone through a number of passes, and I certainly give it the respect and ask everyone to give the film the respect to watch it all the way through. That's in some ways the submission fee entitles a filmmaker to. At the very least, they're paying for the time and the respect and the appreciation to watch this film all the way through. And I emphasize that a great deal to our screeners and the other members of the programming committee. How do you get your submissions? What do you go through? There's a lot of ways in which the films come. Silverdocs has been very good about getting the word, word out there about the festival. We obviously do a call for entries and in many major publications that cater to documentary filmmakers and independent filmmakers. We also have a lot of relationships with other festivals where we promote their festival on our website in exchange for the same kind of promotion. Also, our own presence at festivals, physically going to festivals and leaving gets the visibility out. So there's a lot of ways we promote our festival to have screeners come, and we also solicit films sometimes. We are constantly reading the trades, looking at what other film festivals program, and often inviting filmmakers to submit their films to us to make sure that we're seeing everything. You know, I'm just so impressed from the way it started, because I was around here when Silver Dogs was first coming about, and, every, and this is the fourth year. Yeah. And it is becoming yes. a very well-known, world-class documentary yes. film festival. It's interesting. I think that, in many ways, the location in D.C. certainly has a profound impact. While the industry is largely based in New York and L.A., documentaries, many of them have a political agenda. And we're better to kind of articulate that than here in a place where the policymakers actually are, where things can actually happen. What's really interesting about showing documentaries here is that we can invite so many really important policymakers to come to the screening and to participate in Q&As, and I think that it's just a natural relationship. I also think that being part of the American Film Institute, we didn't have to do as much work of um, proving ourselves in a certain way. We are part of a legacy that has been around for many decades that has already established its name and its values. And so being, we are essentially the American Film Institute Institute's documentary festival, so from our immediate birth came attached with a stamp of approval. How, How is somebody going to be able to see 100 films? They're not. They're not. And I think what's going to happen is as one, and, I, and I'll certainly point out a few films, but just like any, you know, when you, anytime you go to any film festival, there are certain things that pop out that you, you feel a sense of urgency, like, oh my goodness, I absolutely have to see this. But so I want to see them all. Yeah. Ugh. Well, we're going to have to... Uh, continue our discussion I because I always have a lot of questions yeah, for myself. Absolutely. I'm excited to have be part of the silver uh, legacy of Silver Docs. Oh yes, and I'm going to be down here on the 13th. Yes, and, the 13th uh, through the 18th. Absolutely. We'll look I will be to here. You there. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, we'll mm. talk to you soon. Talk to you. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, I'm with uh, John Columbus who is the founder of Black Mariah Film and Video Festival, and congratulations on your 25th anniversary. Thanks. <laughs> Doesn't seem that long, but yeah, we're glad to be here still. This is the silver anniversary. I went on the website, and I also went to the um, NPR. Oh, you did? That they oh, did. Okay. And that was in March, and, and what was the thing that they said is the most important film festival that nobody's heard of? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, a few people have heard of it, but a lot of people yeah, have heard of yeah. it, and I I know a lot of people have been talking about it, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why 
I want to talk to you about a little bit about Well, the one person. of the things I actually say is we're the same age as the Sundance Film Festival. The difference is the Sundance has Robert Redford as its founder, and the Black Mariah has, uh, you know, this crazy name, John Columbus, as its founder. Uh, but we're different than most film festivals, I'd like to believe. I started it as uh, a recent graduate student in film from Columbia University, although I had taught for a few years at a college in southern New Jersey. And we had uh, started something called the Atlantic Film Society and the Stockton State College Student Film Festival. And when I left Stockton, I moved to West Orange and remembered my childhood visit to the Edison National Historic Site and to the Black Mariah Film Studio in particular. And it was really, truly, an absolutely epiphanal experience for me as a 13-year-old. And I remember that Christmas, I had to have a movie camera after that. Then, after high school, went to art school and then to film school uh, and made you know, a number of films. And my frustration in entering film festivals was that I saw my films as kind of bridging genres. Either they were do experimental documentaries or hopefully poetic documentaries, or in some cases, experimental narratives. And so one of the things I thought in homage to Thomas Edison was to start a film festival that in which the creative and expressive sensibility was more important, say, and the visual ideas were more important than pigeonholing films into specific categories, whether this is a fictional film and this is a narrative film and this is an experimental film, that you can have hybrid forms and where do you put them? So we'll have no categories. I gathered some graduate school friends and we put together basically a manifesto, which I've given you, and started the festival on a shoestring with the help of the Edison National Historic Site. And we had 100 entries the first year. At that time, there weren't a lot of other film festivals. There was, Sundance was just starting out. Ann Arbor uh, had been around for a couple of years, but not very many other film festivals. The New York Film Festival, which was focused on feature-length films. And the other thing that we wanted to do was focus on short films. For one reason, because short films are a wonderful form, just like a poem can be short and say so much. And a novel, of course, would be the equivalent to, uh, of a feature film, and that's terrific, but other festivals did features. So why don't we do short films? And the other thing was that only short films were made in the Black Mariah studio, which was the first, the world's first motion picture studio. It was called the Black Mariah, so people know, because it resembled police paddy wagons. It was about the size of a contemporary house trailer. It was covered with black tar paper. Its roof would open to let in the sunlight. It could be rotated on the circular wooden track to follow the sunlight. And it was a quirky building, but we thought that would be an apt symbol for our quirky little film festival. <laughs> so we went with it, and we've uh, been struggling with it ever since, because nobody seems to know what the Black Mariah is either, but the studio itself. Uh, but it's really an important heritage and link to the origins of this medium, which I truly and earnestly believe revolutionized human communication. For the first time, we could look at a film and one instance be in, instant be in New York and in the blink of an eye be at the North Pole, let's say. That wasn't possible in theater, to actually take you there or in a novel. And there's many other things, so many other things about film that make it different than all other media. So I've loved film ever since that visit to the Edison Historic Site. First year we did three shows, all in New Jersey. And then because of graduate school friend and so on, word spread, we did a show at Cornell the second year. And then by the third year, we were down to Virginia. And the next thing we knew, we weren't being uh, 
modeled after what we might be calling, might call a destination film festival where we happen in one place for a week. We do this year now happen for the first week, the first fortnight, pretty much in New Jersey for the first 12 days. But then we go out on the road. So this idea of touring as the centerpiece of what we do, I think also makes us different. That's one of the really unique things that I noticed about it. You have the schedule of over 80 venues and all different areas, and I thought, how ambitious and how... <laughs> it's insane. How, it's how, absolutely insane. How exhausting could that it's, be? Yeah, I mean, it gets intense, and we also have to fly quite a bit. But I think the idea is that we would bring the films to the people where they are, rather than having something for a week or maybe at the most two weeks and expect people to come to us. We're trying to go to people. Um, and we do about 20 or more shows in New Jersey, and then all the rest are all over the country. Um, my colleague Alvin, uh, who's the associate director, uh, has even brought it to Rome, Italy, and Seoul, Korea. So we've uh, done quite a bit of That's that. what was going mm -hmm. to be my next comment, because here it's known as a national public exhibition program, but it's also international. Right. So do yeah. you, and you were just telling me that you went to Italy and to Seoul. Do you have plans to expand that program? We don't want to fix it if it's not broken. Because of the fair amount of media exposure on alternative venues, we are getting, you know, phone calls from people. So our intention is to accommodate, not necessarily to say, well, we must expand, but to say, we're available, we're at your service. Uh, that's our, our mission, to be there showing different kinds of films to different kinds of people in all different places. You know, the, we're looking to the future because it's our 25th anniversary, and we're, we're formulating plans now for what the future might bring. The other thing is that we've been, each one of our shows is nearly unique. Um, we had 58 films this year of every description. What's the process and what do you look for when you see so many films come in? What makes it call you to it and say, hey, I want but people to see this film? Right. In the pre-screening process, you know, we bring our own, of course, our own experience. Now, it's been quite a few years that I've been looking at films, and Alvin certainly, uh, as the associate director, has been involved in you know, film for 10, 12 years. And we have other pre-screeners that are faculty members at colleges and so on. They bring that experience to it. There is not a specific thing we're looking for, but what we aren't looking for is cliched, formulaic work. To offset that, we have two to three pre-screeners look at each film and evaluate it. And then they designate it as a finalist or not. And if it's a finalist, uh, those films are gathered and we bring in our finalist jurors who are from curators from institutions such as the Museum of Modern Art public television, etc. And they too are looking for what's edgy, what's breaking into new turf, what's breaking out of you know the boxes that we all sometimes are in. Because think about it, this medium is only 110 years old. How old is dance? Uh, well maybe that's like 500 years old. No, no wait a minute. Dance is 5,000 years old? Oh, well actually maybe it's you know 20,000 years old. And all during that time, the dance or music, or painting for that matter, have evolved. They've evolved in a very different context than film has, in a tribal setting, if you will, sometimes as part of a religious ceremony, in fact, often, or a marriage ceremony. And so the work was done on a very personal, intense, passionate level. Film, on the other hand, evolved 
during the Industrial Revolution. And it had to be commercially popular for everybody right away. And it was, and it was very important to, in a way, bringing this country together because those first films were silent, which was good for people of all different languages. They could look at a film and understand it. So that language of cinema began to develop, but it had to develop in a very compressed time span, 100 and odd years. Dance developed its language, you know, from modern dance to, well, ballet to modern dance to jazz dance to tap dance. All those genres had at least twice as long, three, four, five times as long to evolve and develop as has film. So what is our obligation? Well, people that are really hopeful for this medium, which is now video and for that matter, digital media, what is our mission to advance this medium? I mean, we should advance it. We should help build it, just like Martha Graham changed dance, you know, or John Cage changed music, or the Impressionists freed painting of literalism, you know, of literal representation. Shouldn't we do that in film? Isn't, aren't we gonna go through that? those phases, I'm turning into a lecture. <laughs> but, so, we're looking for people that are breaking out. That's what it is, break out. But also, do you have something worthwhile of substance to say? Something earnest, are you real? Is it real or is it phony? We're looking for something that has soul, okay? It's either breaking through in some way or it has soul, or it's wacky and inventive and uh, playful. So it's really no fixed thing that we're looking for. It's sometimes more what we're trying to avoid, the obvious. So now you have 25 years worth of film showings and, and things, and you're going to be doing a retrospective? Yes, this? two retrospectives, actually. One coming up in a, ah, yikes, mm -hmm. two weeks at the Robert Flaherty Film Seminar, founded 53 years ago by the wife of Robert Flaherty. Robert Flaherty, uh, for those who may not remember, uh, made the first feature-length documentary film, Nanook of the North, which was uh, a seminal film, and went on to make many other films. And after he died, his wife started a seminar with the idea that filmmakers would gather, and film scholars, and film students, and lovers of film, in one place for a week, and do nothing but talk about films, and would share ideas I've been going to the Flaherty Seminar now, I think, for 17 or 18 years. And uh, we've done two Black Mariah, well, a previous Black Mariah program, and then this is a, a mini retrospective. Would be impossible to do a full program, but we're doing a gallery installation there, retrospective. And then... You're doing a celebration for your 25th and year. Yeah, that's part of... There are mini celebrations yes. is what they are. We are going on to the Museum of Modern Art in mid-November with uh, what looks like will be a five evening event where we'll be showing quite a few films and we're looking forward to that. Uh, it's really interesting by the way and fun to be reaching back 25 years and trying to dig up the filmmakers and see what they're doing now or and that's another question we get well what happens to these filmmakers do they make do they go on well some of them do and some of them don't care if they don't so kind of reaching back and discovering them where they are now and what's going on is uh, that can interesting be very too. interesting. Yes, I'm going to be down at Silver Docks, and uh, that ends on Sunday. So that's down in D.C., right? That's down yeah. in D.C. Yeah. and Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh -huh. Good luck with everything, and Thank uh, you. I'm, Thank you. I'm rediscovering New Jersey and especially New Jersey's film heritage. And to me, that's very exciting. Me too. <laughs> you gave me a lot of things to look at, and I'm looking forward to going through everything. I've got that great poster of yours, but I'm really interested in that seminar that's, oh. that's going on. Yeah.
too late this year to register. Unless okay. you just like snuck, stopped up there and snuck in during the day. It's gonna be very, very edgy this year. I can guarantee that. Uh, the two curators, the head curators, one is from Mad Cat Women's Film Festival, Ariella Bendov, and the other is Steve Side, uh, who's a curator at the Pacific Film Archives at Berkeley. And he's very into new forms of cinema, interactive gallery installations. So it should be wild. Well, instead yeah. of being a wedding crasher, maybe it'll be a film festival right. crasher. Right. <laughs> Just try it. Just go up to Vassar and show up. Look, look around, and you'll find people. I'll ask there. Lois and say, right. direct right. me oh, here. Oh, I'm just dropping in for a little <laughs> while. I think if you drop in for the day, it would be no big deal. You know. Well, maybe I'll do that. I'll take yeah. a road trip. Yeah, it's, it's an easy drive. Okay. I look forward to talking to you in the future. Maybe we can you know, talk again about the different films that are being Okay, well, we'll get you out to the premiere, too, and out to MoMA. Oh, I go there all the time. Oh, great, great. <laughs> okay. I love what John says about short films, that they're poems, as opposed to narrative features that are novels. The Black Mariah was the world's first motion picture studio and uh, happens to be in West Orange, New Jersey. Hmm. Maybe we're going to have to have a Jersey show. I'll start working on that after Silver Docks is over and uh, all these silver things are done. One last thing about the Black Mariah Film Festival is that it's recognized by the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences as an Academy Award qualifying festival for short films, documentaries, animations, and live action. And it was awarded the New Jersey Governor Award of Excellence in 2002 and the New Jersey State Council of Arts Certificate of Excellence 2003. All right, I think that's... Uh, that's about all we have time for right now, and uh, I look forward to seeing some people here at uh, the different film festivals that are going on, and um, we'll take it from there. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>